Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Welcome to Crosspoint this morning. So glad that each and every one of you are here with us. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint and uh, would love to get a chance to meet you. I'll be out around afterward if I haven't had the chance to do so already. I would love to be able to do that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this morning. I mean, anytime we get together uh, to worship and to hear from God's word and to, to encounter him, anytime we do that, it's a good day. But I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about this morning because I believe that, that the stuff that we're getting into today has immediate and, and life-altering ramifications. Um, big, big changes to our lives if we genuinely engage with the truth that we're going to look at this morning uh, in particular. And um, what we're doing uh, is we are, have been the past several weeks, going back to the very beginning of January, start of the new year, we have been uh, walking through this series that we're calling Patterns. And so the idea behind this, in case maybe you haven't been here before, it's your first time, maybe you haven't been in a few weeks, or you just forgot, um, the idea behind this pattern series is when things pop up over and over and over again, it usually means that it's meant to draw our attention to them, right? We see that in movies, in literature, in poetry, in life. When things are repeated over and over again, it's, it says to us, hey, this is important. We need to recognize this and, and pay attention to it. And the same is true in Scripture. And, and uh, in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, there's a number of what we call design patterns laid out um, that continue to repeat themselves as they go. And the cool thing about these design patterns is as we chew on them, as we think about them, as we, we look for them in Scripture, it helps us have a, a bigger um, frame of reference. It brings like some clarity to the world we live in, to why things seem off to us, and they give us clarity on, on who we are as individuals. And um, I think today in particular, we have the opportunity to gain some clarity on where we personally are at and what needs to happen in our own personal lives. But I think it's really important to know where we've come from in this. So let me just real quickly kind of recap where we've been. If you were here a few weeks ago, um, Matt started the series by looking at the design pattern that shows up in Genesis of creation and blessing. And so the idea behind that is when God created the world and everything in it, he kept saying it was good. And it was created to bring blessing to everything else around it, right? And even when he created people, in his image, he said, now you can go do more of that. The things that you create are supposed to pour out blessing onto the world around you and onto the people around you. And so right from the beginning, we get this picture of how things ought to be. This is how things should be, that we live in the cycle of creation and blessing, making the world better and better, bringing more and more good, more and more of God's character into the world. That's how things ought to be. That's how God set it up from the beginning. But then two weeks ago, Travis kind of opened up uh, Genesis chapter three, and we saw how humanity kind of took a, took a turn. See, before humans were in this cycle of creation and blessing, but it all hinged on that relationship where God gives 
and his people receive. That was like the, that was how that relationship worked, as God gave to his people, his people received. But we see through Adam and Eve rebelling against God, we see how they saw something they wanted, they saw something they desired, and so they just reached out and took it in the fruit. They saw it, they thought, hey, that looks good for me and what I want to do in this world, and so they reached out and they took it. They didn't receive anything from God, they took it. And there was pretty like devastating consequences to that, right? They, they had to leave the garden, and humanity has been dealing with the consequences of that type of, of setting, that type of lifestyle um, ever since. And that's really easy to see in the world around us, right? I mean, any human tragedy, any oppression, any hurt, you can trace back to someone somewhere, saw something they wanted, and whether it was right or not, they just reached out and they took it, right? So much devastation has happened in the world because someone saw something they wanted and decided, I know best, I'm just going to reach out and take it. And just last week, we saw what it looks like to get ahead in a world like this, that where God set up for people to rule the way that he rules with mercy and justice and blessing and good. Um, instead of that, we've traded in living God's way to living what Matt called beastly rule. Where we're no longer acting like human beings the way that God designed for us to act, but instead we're adopting the same tactics as animals to get ahead in the world in which we live. Brutality and violence and oppression. And the really sad thing is Adopting beastly tactics, it kind of works in the world that we live in. It does get us ahead in this, in this world that is structured around seeing what we want and just taking it regardless of the consequence. So up until this point, these design patterns have, have begun to paint this really clear picture of just how far we have fallen like as humanity, as a society. If we believe at all what God has desired for us and how to live that cycle of creation and blessing, then it seems like where we have landed is really unstable, right? It seems really dangerous. And, and not like a, I'm in a bad neighborhood, I hope that everything goes fine kind of dangerous, but like the most danger you have ever been in. Um, something that is much deeper and really in need of a much deeper image to describe it. And that's the pattern that we're gonna look at today. I think the pattern that we're going to look at today offers a very vivid picture of exactly where we are at as individuals when it comes to our relationship with Jesus and when we ignore him. This is the place we find ourselves. And even though it may start here, I want to let you know, before we're done today, there's really good news coming our way. Today is going to, we're going to have to do some hard self-assessment today. We're going to have to, just warning you. But where we get to is beautiful. And there's so much hope in it. So the design pattern that we're looking at today, people way smarter than me, uh, people who have spent a ton of time studying all these patterns and where they come from, they kind of have a term for the pattern we're going to talk about today, and that's the chaotic waters. Already a really good image, right? I don't know what pops into your mind when you think of chaotic waters, but, you know, I think of like the ocean swirling or maybe like a big storm over a lake or something like that. And in ancient times, the connection between water and chaos or water and and death and destruction was very closely linked. So in in most ancient cultures, people would look out at the sea or look out at a large body of water and they would say, that place is dangerous. Like destruction lives out there. Chaos lives out there. We're not really supposed to be out there. It kind of makes sense, right? So like 
in uh, world religions, oftentimes in mythology, gods would go battle monsters that would come from the sea. And, and people, once they started getting up the courage to actually venture out onto the sea or onto deep water, they, they would come back with stories of monsters that would come up and, and cause destruction and cause chaos in their lives. And so it's not hard to like get to a place where you're like, I could see those people thousands and thousands of years ago, knowing what they knew, looking out and saying, that is a bad place. There is a lot of danger out there. And really, are we so different today? I, 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 th- I think we like to believe we've come so far, but there's still a ton of people who are absolutely terrified to go out into the water. And I don't care who you are, if you're out in the water and you, and you realize that there's like so much space beneath you and you have no idea what's down there, you think long enough about that, it begins to get a little disconcerting, right? So a lot of times uh, when we think about the sea or think about large bodies of water, um, our minds can jump to a place of chaos and a place of danger. There's a lot we don't know about it. I mean, we're still pulling up random animals out of the deepest parts of the ocean that are like nightmare fuel. Like every year, right? There's another new like, oh, that thing shouldn't exist, but it does somewhere deep in the ocean underneath your feet. And so it makes sense that there might be some trepidation for us. We don't really belong out on the water. And when I think about chaotic waters, my mind jumps to one specific situation in my life that I experienced. And so uh, before we moved to California, my wife and, and I lived in Nova Scotia, okay? So Nova Scotia is mostly surrounded by water. We lived right on the coast. The beach was just like right out our front door. And uh, weirdly enough, I picked up surfing while I was in Nova Scotia and surfed a lot. And don't surf here like at all for some reason. And I got thinking about that. I was like, why is that the case? I mean, there's like Santa Cruz is like right over there. And I think this is why. Um, I really liked being able to go out and not see anybody else, not have to deal with anybody else. I could just go out with a surfboard and, and have some fun. So if I blew it, no one saw it. And so I didn't have to feel bad. I wasn't in anybody's way. The one time I tried to go out here, I felt like I was in everyone's way. And I just, I didn't know all the etiquette and all that stuff. And, and it made me not even enjoy the experience. And I, and I think the reason was, I really liked being able to go out on my own. And so that's what I would do a lot when, when we lived in Nova Scotia. I, when, when the waves were good, I'd kind of figure out where they were supposed to be good. And I'd go out by myself. I'd take my surfboard that I bought off of Canadian Craigslist. I would like wriggle into my wetsuit that I bought from a thrift store, which I know is gross, but like, don't judge me. I never got a skin rash or anything. So I think, I think I won out on that. And I headed out in the rain and the snow. It was always cold, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. But as you may be thinking in your own mind, it's not always the wisest thing to go out surfing like on your own especially when like the waves are big and it's windy and stuff like that but I was young and I thought I was invincible so like what could possibly go wrong right and so I went out one time and I I found this spot where there was some waves that would break kind of further out and then um, it would kind of all funnel in towards like this cove and by the way if you're a surfer I don't know any of the terms you're probably like this guy knows nothing about this I know all right I was just doing my best here and so the water would like funnel into this cove And I'd seen people do it before, so you could ride the wave, but then you'd have to kind of bail off the board before, you know, the water like crashed you into the shore because there was rocks and it would not have been a good scenario, right? And so I went out there uh, and 
kind of at a diagonal like you're supposed to, and I'm waiting out there, and here comes a wave. I catch the wave. Yay, I'm surfing. And I jumped off the board before I got crashed into the rocks, and I turned it around to begin the worst part of the surfing experience, paddling back out to where the waves were, right? And so I'm on the board, and I'm paddling, and I'm paddling, and I'm paddling, and I look up, and I'm like, I've made no progress, like, whatsoever. That's ah, probably nothing. Paddling, paddling, paddling. I'd look up. Man, still making no progress. Paddling, paddling, paddling. I'd look up. Oh, there's a giant wave. I guess I'll get hit by this now. And I just kept getting wave after wave, like what smashed me. And then I'd try to make some progress. I would never be able to make it out over the top of the, of the waves to get out to where the water was a little bit stiller. And uh, I remember, like, I'm not a panicky person, generally. I like, I like to believe. I'm a fairly, like, even-keeled person, takes a lot to get me ramped up. You'd probably have to ask my wife and kids if that's actually true. But I like to believe that I'm, I'm a fairly even-keeled person. But I'll tell you right now, after a little while of being out there, trying to make progress, getting smashed over and over again by these waves, seeing that like the, the distance between me and the rocks was getting shorter and shorter, I started to feel some frenzy. I started to feel some panic, which doesn't help the situation, right? But just over and over again, I was just getting smashed and smashed. And there was all this foam because it was hitting all the rocks. And I was disoriented and I couldn't see my way forward. And it was really, really scary. One of the scarier moments in my life. Because I remember thinking, like, I'm going to die. I think this is over. I think we're done. Now, I'm standing in front of you. So obviously, I wised up and just went sideways like you're supposed to and got out of whatever current I was stuck in. But it was a really scary uh, situation for me. And when I think about chaotic waters, like that's the first thing that pops into my head. And I wonder if, if those of us in this room, like we've had similar experiences. Maybe it's not like surfing and getting stuck, but maybe you got stuck in a riptide swimming at the beach one time. Maybe you swam out too far into Pinecrest and you're like, oops, I'm not sure if I can make it back. Maybe, maybe you've been on a boat or something and there's been a storm and you feel like, oh, I'm not sure we're going to make it. Maybe you're just a victim of like cousin bullying and just like sticking your head under water in the pool over and over again or sibling bullying. Whatever it is, I think, I think this image is so helpful to us because most of us can, we can latch on to this. We can recognize the truth that sometimes water can be a really dangerous place, especially if it's big and it's chaotic and it's thrashing us around. And that's the exact picture that scripture is trying to paint here. And so what I want to do is I want to, I don't want you to just take my word that this is in here. We're going to go through a few passages of scripture and we're going to see this picture continue to grow and build on itself of the chaotic waters that represent our lives and what God does with them, which is what he does in our lives. So the the verse up on the screen is where we're actually going to land And so if you want to meet me at the finish line, you can do that. But uh, we're going to be bouncing to a number of different scriptures. And so if you want to follow along with me, that's great. If you just kind of want to listen, I'll do my best to really uh, give the best picture of the stories that we're going to be talking to. But when we look at this uh, design pattern of chaotic waters and what God does with them, you don't have to look very far in scripture to find your very first one. In fact, all you have to do is open up to the very first page in the very first verse. So everyone should be able to find that. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, and here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
So imagine like the deep, like the deepest, deepest part of the ocean. You know, for, for these writers in their imagination, in their uh, line of thinking, it would be like an endless deep. But imagine like the deepest, deepest part of like the Mariana's Trench or something like that. The deep, deep, deep. It says the earth was without form, it was void, there was darkness, there was chaos. Nothing good came out of it, and there was no life in it. But here's what it goes on to say. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, we need to take a quick pause right here and do a little bit of language work, okay? Because uh, when we trace back to the original language, Uh, One word in particular in this verse, it makes this design pattern all the more impactful. But I want to make sure that you know, this is not the sort of thing that like wakes me up in the morning. Like, yay, linguistic work. Woohoo. We already have someone on staff who's that person. His name's Travis Edgerton. I imagine him in his office doing these sermons, like giggling to himself. That's the picture I have of how much he loves this, all right? Which probably is why he's such a great preacher. But that's not my thing. Like, I don't super love it. But maybe you're in the same boat that I am. Hang with me. Because when we trace this back to the original language and what it means, it makes this design pattern all the more like compelling. All right? So if we go back to the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament was written in to begin with, the word for spirit in Hebrew is a word called ruach, which I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation. But that's the word for spirit is ruach, okay? So when, if you're reading this in Hebrew, it said, it would say, and the ruach of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Put a pin in that, keep it in your brain. It's gonna pop up again. So then it goes on to uh, describe three days of creation where God continuously separates things. First day, he separates light from dark. The next day, he separates water from water, and there's an expanse in between it that he calls the heavens. And then in verse nine, it says, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So the earth is void. It's formless. There's deep, chaotic waters over it. And God separates those waters and brings out dry land. What's the significance of that? Dry land is the place where humans flourish the most, right? Like right here, from the very beginning, God is saying, the people that I am creating in my image, they're not meant for the chaos of the seas. They're not meant for the destruction of the water. I'm making a place where they can actually function and live and flourish and bring about more good. He split the water and brought dry land up out of it. You skip ahead a few chapters, and we find the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 8. And just kind of to quickly catch us up, Cliff Notes' version of the story of Noah. Noah is, the story of Noah is oftentimes referred to as like a a decreation story. Um, Because what we see is we see humanity sink back into the chaos that God brought them out of. If you know the story of Noah, you know that everyone but Noah was off doing their own thing, doing what seemed right to them and causing a lot of pain and hurt and destruction along the way. And so the physical world responds and and God floods the earth and, and humanity is wiped out and given a second shot. And we see Noah and his family and a whole bunch of animals in the boat. They get on the boat, God spares them and they, they weather this storm. Skip ahead a little bit to Genesis chapter eight, verse one, and here's what God does. Water has kind of taken control again over the world. 
chaotic water has flooded everything. Here's what it says. But God remembered Noah. He remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth. Pause. This is so cool. That word wind, translated back to the original language, it's the word ruach. It's the same word that Genesis chapter one used to describe the spirit of God. So you could very well say, and God made his spirit blow over the earth. And what happens? The waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the water receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Arat, the dry land of the mountains of Arat. Do we see this connection? There's chaos all around. There's destruction all around. God's spirit comes and the waters recede. What comes out of them? Dry land. Dry land, where eventually as the waters continued to recede, Noah and his family and all the animals left the ark and began to be fruitful and multiply and continue bringing more good into the world that God had put in front of them. Skip ahead a whole book. We find ourselves in the book of Exodus. We find ourselves uh, at a place where the nation of Israel has a huge uh, block in front of them, a huge hurdle in front of them as they are trying to find their way to freedom. Again, short, short recap of the story is the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, they had been in slavery for a long time under the Egyptians. You may have heard parts or all of the story before. God comes to a man named Moses. Moses doesn't want to do it, but God says, you gotta. And he says, okay, short story. And he goes to Egypt and he tells Pharaoh, hey, you need to let these people go. This is God speaking and Pharaoh and Moses go back and forth and there's the plagues and all of that. And eventually Pharaoh agrees, okay, you guys are more trouble than you're worth. Get out of here. And Moses takes the Israelite people and they start to head toward the promised land that God had prepared for them. And they run smack dab into this massive body of water called the Red Sea. No way around it. About this time in the story, the Pharaoh has a change of heart. And he's like, oh, actually, I I do want those people back. So he sends all of his chariots to go get the Israelites and bring them back. So this is the spot the Israelites are in. Chaotic waters in front of them that represent a, a hurdle and destruction. There's no way around it. And then a whole bunch of chariots behind them also representing chaos and destruction behind them. They're stuck between those two things. And God says to Moses, hey, lift up your staff and I'll take care of it. And here's what happens. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove, back this, drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. Again, that word wind, when translated is ruach, God's spirit. Strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. I love that, not muddy land, dry land. And the waters were divided. They were split, they were separated, just like every other time. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. 
So God has provided a way for his people to get to freedom, to bring them out of slavery. He has taken this water, which represents chaos and danger and destruction, and he split it open and provided a way for his people to get to freedom. Jump ahead a little bit more. Last one from the Old Testament we're going to look at. It's found in the book of Joshua. It's after the Israelites have rebelled against God and not trusted him, and there was some severe consequence to that, and they've been wandering around the desert for a whole generation. But we find at the beginning of the book of Joshua, the people are ready to go to the place that God has prepared for them, and they have this big river called the Jordan in their way. And here's what they do. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 14, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. The Ark of the Covenant is the place where God's spirit rested when he was with his people. Spirit is with them. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. It was overflowing. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea were completely cut off. They were split in two. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So over and over and over again in the Old Testament, we see the same pattern emerging. Where there is chaos, where people are drowning, where people are dying, where destruction runs rampant, when God's spirit comes there, the waters, the chaos, the darkness is split open and there there emerges a way forward for people who are looking for it. Over and over and over again, we see that play out. We see it building on each other. Now you might say, you might be sitting there and say, cool, interesting, cool coincidence, but like, what does that have to do with me? Like, thanks for the Bible lesson, but how does that actually like affect my life? The next instance that we see that we're going to look at today actually happens in the New Testament. And this pattern of chaotic waters and what God does with it changes everything for every person in this room. Every single one of us. We're going to read Mark chapter 1. It's the verse that's up on the screen. We're going to start reading in verse 9. Here's what it says. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens, I love this language, being torn open, and the Spirit, hold on, the Old New Testament was written in Greek, so the Greek word for Spirit is pneuma, but if you translate that Greek word into Hebrew, take a wild guess at what word we get to. Ruach, the exact same word that has been separating waters through all of human history, descends on Jesus like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Let's put ourselves in that frame of mind, in that, in that place right there. Jesus comes and he asks John the Baptist, baptize me. And John's like, dude, I shouldn't even be doing that. You're like the son of God, you should be baptizing me. Jesus says, do it anyway. And he's like, okay. 
And so he baptizes him. And, and just like imagine this imagery. Jesus goes down into the water, down into something that represents chaos and death and destruction. And when John lifts him back up, splits the water as Jesus comes back up, Ruach, the spirit of God, descends on Jesus like a dove, making it clear to everyone there that no longer does God just provide a way through difficulty. No longer does God just provide a temporary path forward through a temporary danger. God has provided the way in his son Jesus for the greatest danger to our soul. That changes everything for us. And that means that every person who knows Jesus, every person who has surrendered their life over to him, now has a way forward. What this, what this tells us is Jesus says, I am the one that brings order out of chaos. I am the one who brings life out of nothingness, just like the Spirit of God did in Genesis chapter one. I am the one who brings redemption out of failure and brokenness, just like the Spirit of God did in the story of Noah. I am the one who brings freedom from slavery and oppression, just like I did for my people coming out of Egypt. I am the one who's bringing you to something better, not just from something dangerous, but to something beautiful, just like I brought my people through the Jordan River, you no longer need to be looking for a way. I am the way. And you never need another one. Chaos and danger and destruction, they are no longer in charge. Jesus says, I am. And if you're with me, you can always stand firm on dry land. Jesus proves this a whole bunch of different ways, but in the most obvious way, a few chapters later, we see how Jesus calms the storm. He's on the Sea of Galilee with all of his, with all of his disciples, and this big storm comes up, and Jesus is taking a nap, and they're, they're starting to freak out, and they wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care about us? We're all going to die. You need to do something, and Jesus stands up, and can you imagine just the significance of this moment? He stands up and rebukes the winds and the waves, and it immediately becomes calm. What greater picture could we ask for of chaos all around us, but Jesus with a word makes it calm. With a word brings peace. Jesus did that in the physical sense, but in a few short years, he would make a way for us spiritually as well. He would dive headfirst into that place of death and destruction again by willingly giving his life on a cross. He would enter into those waters that represent death and destruction and chaos by laying down his life. And when he came back up out of them, when he was raised from the grave, everything was busted wide open. And every single one of us had a way to know God through him. So what do we do with this information? Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe this is all brand new to you. But what do we do with maybe this new understanding or this new clarity of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection? Not just saved us from an okay life to make us live a better life, but he's taken us out of chaos and darkness and destruction and set our feet on dry land where we can actually do what we're called to do and what we're made to do. I think there's a couple groups of people in here that I just want to mention one thing to those of us who are followers of Jesus in here. I just can't get past it. I feel like it really needs to be said. This, this should do something in us. It should elicit some kind of response in our hearts. If you're a follower of Jesus, 
and, and you hear about the great lengths that he went to to take you out of darkness and chaos and plant your feet firmly on a place where you can become the person he wanted you to be, that should do something in us. And I can't get past this image, and I'm guilty of it too. God has taken us out of chaotic waters, put us on dry land, but we're still kicking our feet like we're treading water because that was what we were used to. What a ridiculous scene. A whole bunch of Christians, a whole bunch of people living on dry land, kicking their feet like they're still in the water. But so often, I feel like that's what so many of us do. We kind of have one foot in and one foot out. We're, we're doing that stupid like Moana thing where we're always trying to go back to the water but God has removed us from that. Why in the world would we ever go back there? He set us in a place where there's so much better in front of us. Why would we ever start to dip our toes back in? We gotta resist that. He has, he has brought us to something so much better than that. And maybe you're in here and you don't know Jesus yet. What I, what I hope for this is that this might somehow provide some framework to this deep, nagging feeling that you have right now. See, the truth is, Scripture makes it really clear that apart from God, we're drowning. Without the Spirit of God in our lives, we're in chaotic water and we're drowning. The world and its way of doing things is threatening to overcome us. And maybe we try to do the right thing or at least the thing that seems right to us, but we always fail and it never works out much like wave after wave crashed over me when I was on that surfboard trying to find out which direction I should go, wave after wave of like failure and regret and depression and brokenness and arrogance and selfishness crash over us over and over again and beat us down. And, and it seems absolutely hopeless. You can't see a way forward. Maybe you didn't even recognize that when you walked in here this morning, but after listening to this and after God speaking to you, you're like, that's exactly where I am. I'm drowning and I don't know what to do. I want you to hear this clearly. Jesus is your way forward. Jesus has, through all of history, plucked people out of chaotic waters and placed their feet firmly on dry ground. And he's still doing that today and he wants to do that for you. I think we have this, this picture because this is not a new idea. This is not a new picture, the idea of us living in these waters. It's not like we just figured it out in 2020. People have recognized this throughout scripture, but so often we talk about Jesus standing on a shore, like throwing us a life preserver. Or, or standing from a place of safety, like reaching out, and it's like, okay, you're drowning, but just reach out and grab my hand. What I think is becoming clear as, as I look at these stories of God separating the chaos and bringing stability to it is God's not, Jesus is not passive in this. He's active. Maybe a better picture is Jesus is diving headfirst into chaos to come and get us. I think he dives headfirst into the chaos of your life to bring order. He dives headfirst into your mess to bring life where there was none, to bring dreams to life, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring restoration. And sometimes I think all we need to do, if you're in here this morning, you don't know Jesus, maybe all you need to do is quit fighting him. He's coming to get you. Quit fighting him. But I don't expect you to just believe me at my word. And the cool thing is, you don't have to. There are countless stories in this church and throughout history of Jesus doing exactly this. Jesus entering into the chaos where we live, the death and destruction where we live, and setting our feet on solid ground through his son, Jesus. 
And I think it's, we, about, we have the chance here to see us, one of the most compelling examples of that I think I've ever heard. And so we have a video of this awesome lady as part of our church named April, who's a beautiful example of what Jesus does in a life that seems overwhelming, that seems marked by chaos, but when he enters into it, he brings peace and he brings a way forward. Check out this video. My name is April Williams, and this is my story. I did go to church a lot whenever I was a little girl, mostly with my Aunt Louise and my grandmother, because my mother had, by that time, by the time I was five, she was already, um, she didn't believe very much. My house was a scary place. Um, my mom, I think, um, had major like depression problems, you know, and denial problems. And her husband was, um, he was abusive physically and sexually. Right around the time I was probably about seven, uh, I went to my Sunday school teacher and told her, you know, some of the things that were happening. And she told me just pray about it. And so then I did. And then um, a few weeks later, I told her that it was still happening. And so she told me that it was probably because my heart wasn't pure. And so I soon stopped going to church and I became very angry with God and, um, very hateful, and in my teen years, uh, very destructive. I wasn't ever really violent. I just a lot of addiction and drugs and partying and just anything that made me feel good was my goal. So I had my first son when I was almost 22, and I was very selfish. Um, you know, and I wish that I was different. He's about one years old. I really got into meth, like. Meth was number one priority. I had my second child when I was 24. By then, I was a full-blown, I was a junkie. I was slamming meth all the time. Uh, and if I couldn't get that, I would slam whatever I could get. Both of the fathers of my boys took them because I wasn't coherent. And um, so I was just on a downward spiral. I became homeless, um, had different boyfriends, if you could call them boyfriends. But God would reach out to me. Like one time I had just got, you know, broke up, I guess you could say, with some guy. I heard my name. And um, I looked in front of me and there was this rose and it was glowing. And he said, April, I made this for you. And it made me so angry because I was so disgusted with myself. And, um, because I know that was God reminding me that this is not the life he had for me. So it would probably be about another year. And then one of my friends started saying that I looked like I was pregnant. And sure enough, I was pregnant. <laughs> and then I got busted with a dirty bag. And so I pled guilty. I got to go to Jelani House for a year. It was an intense program in San Francisco. That's where I had my baby. It was very strict, which is what I needed. And then it was time for me to graduate and they had a job and an apartment for me, but I didn't feel like, um, I didn't trust myself. Alice got a hold of Miss Beth at the Redwoods and um, got me a sponsorship bed. The Redwoods Family Center is, um, it's a faith-based uh, recovery house. So I learned how to live with a big group of women and start making decisions for myself. And I got to come to Crosspoint. Also at Jelani House, church wasn't a priority. But I'm so grateful that I got to go to the Redwoods because the Redwoods, um, 
It was, a, it was different, and I think it's because God's presence is there. Five o'clock getting up for devotions was really hard at first, but still, once you get that coffee going and you open up that Bible, it's all good, you know? And um, the two months before my two-year sobriety, I thought for sure I was never gonna make it past two years. I'm well past that. I have eight and a half years clean and sober. I started volunteering in the childcare in my daughter's class. You know, I do a Bible study at the Redwoods on Wednesdays, and um, I have a great job. I have a job here at the church in facilities. I work with great people, and I do enjoy my work. I have my own place. My daughter is healthy. She's happy. She knows she's loved. I'm just very happy. God has given me a joy and a peace of mind that I never, ever thought that I could have or deserve. What an absolutely beautiful picture of someone who is, who's living on their own. This is all of our stories. Someone who's living for themselves and, and what they thought was right. And, and they recognized that nothing but chaos was being produced out of that. And, and Jesus coming to her, reaching into her life to show her, hey, this isn't who I made you to be. And taking her out, separating those waters, taking her out and placing her on dry, stable land, headed toward a life that looked drastically different than she was living before. See, if God can do that in April's life and God can do that in my life and God can do that in every person in here who's a follower of Jesus' life, if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to hear this so clearly. Jesus can do that in your life. It does not matter where you come from. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter how deep you feel like you are drowning or how much chaos is surrounding you. That does not scare Jesus away. He has control over all of that. And he is pursuing you. He loves you. He cares about you and he has come all the way to you to bring you out of that and set your feet on dry ground. I think it would be so ridiculous for us to get past this morning without giving an opportunity for anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus to make that decision. See, I think Jesus is pursuing us. A lot of times we just need to surrender and say, okay, God, I recognize how you've been chasing me down here and I'm ready for whatever you want. I, don't, I wanna give you a full picture. We never wanna sugarcoat anything to the point where it's not real. It means drastic change for your life. If you surrender your life to Jesus, things will change. It's hard to learn how to live on dry land when you've been swimming your whole life. But what Jesus offers is infinitely better than what you're living in right now. And so I'm gonna pray in a moment and we're gonna sing a song just of invitation. And what I would encourage you to do is if you're in here this morning and you know you've never given your life to Jesus, and let's be real, maybe you've been sitting in that same pew for years and years, but you know you've never given your life to Jesus, really. I would encourage you during this time to come forward. I'm gonna invite our, our prayer team to come up. And these are people who can talk through what it means to follow Jesus with you, who are willing to pray with you, who are willing to answer questions that you might have about what it means to follow Jesus. And during this song, man, I would encourage you, man, don't, don't wait, like take this opportunity, come forward, don't get past this moment. We are not about emotional manipulation here at Crosspoint. There's a lot of churches that like kind of twist arms and elicit an emotional response. We're not about that here. Because all through scripture, in this design pattern, 
What we don't see is water being separated by a flashy sermon or a good speaker or a good band or an emotional atmosphere. What we do see separating chaos to provide dry land is the spirit of God. And I believe that the spirit of God is here today. The Holy Spirit is here and he's working and he's been working in your life before we ever thought to do this. But maybe today is an opportunity for you to respond. So would you stand to your feet with me? And I'd like to just pray over us. And then as the band starts to play, we would, I would encourage you, if you want to come forward and give your life to Jesus or find out more, man, just make your way down to the front to one of these people and they would love to pray and talk with you. Jesus, we just ask that your spirit would encourage boldness in this place right now. Lord, it is a scary thing to admit that we are drowning and sometimes really easy to just avoid it. But God, I pray that as as the people in this room are are thinking honestly about where they're at and, and what their life looks like, Lord, that they would have the courage to step out and say, I need help. And Lord, I'm so grateful that that you are so faithful to meet each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that it, those of us in the room who are followers of you, God, I pray that this would that we would just be able to like worship in a heart of gratitude because of what you've done. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would change hearts in this place this morning. Thank you so much for what you're doing, God. We anticipate the change that you're gonna bring. In your awesome name, amen.